right. Welcome back to Speakeasy Security, the podcast for MESET. I'm here as your host, Ransom Burkett. And I'm Tony Anscombe. All right. And Tony and I are going to throw another acronym at everyone this week, APT. Now, APT stands for Advanced Persistent Threats. But don't worry if you're not familiar with this term, because pretty much every time that we think of something that we need explaining, Tony's here to help us out with. So, Tony, glad to have you here to talk about it again, as you always do. Let's start at the top. Um, Let's explain, first of all, the definition of what APT actually means for the average user in layman's terms. Well, the actual acronym stands for Advanced Persistent Threat. But I'm not sure that actually helps, does it? No, no, (laughs) no, that's what I mean. Let's just explain a little bit further. So as the name suggests, it's advanced. So I, this is not your standard run-of-the-mill cyber criminal who's attacking with phishing emails or such like. This is a sophisticated hacking technique to gain access to a system and remain inside that system for a long period of time. Uh, you typically hear this associated with, for example, espionage or attacks against some sort of government department or long-term attacks against industry where somebody's stealing intellectual property or something of that nature. However, more recently, this has been associated with ransomware. Oh, that's right. That's right. We are seeing some ransomware attacks as a result, um, which makes a lot of sense in a little bit. So, Walk me through um, how they actually work. Well, so there, there's a number of different stages in an APT. So as I said, it's about somebody gaining access. So there's that first point of access. So, uh, and, and that can come in many different ways. And it could come in what I define as many traditional ways. So it could be a phishing link that steals somebody's credentials, which allows somebody access. It could be a vulnerability in a piece of equipment or in a piece of software that gets exploited by the cyber criminal. So think about that recent that recent Microsoft zero-day exploits in Exchange Server. There's yeah. a good example yeah. <laughs> of something that would allow uh, somebody to get a cyber criminal to get access and install something in the device or, or or in the network that would, in effect, give them that initial access point. So once they've got that foothold, yeah, once they've made that initial breakthrough, uh, then there's kind of phase two, which is they need to then deploy some malware or they need to start establishing their foothold. And that foothold might mean they move around the inside of the network slightly. That foothold could mean they put malware or or they put access points in multiple places so if you detect one and close one down they've got a backup somewhere else in the network that wasn't related to the first one gotcha so so even if you think you've closed them down they may actually be in somewhere else and they'll they'll also look for for example administrator passwords or escalation of privileges so for access rights that will give them that escalation of privilege uh, so that's that's, and then they've they've got this outstream of communication between your network and the outside world, and then they'll look for other vulnerabilities and other ways to exploit that system. Okay. So with those escalated privileges, or they find other hardware or software, which sometimes companies don't always update 
all software because some software is not externally facing. Yes. yes so I, if something's behind solid firewalls and on the inside of a network and not communicating to the outside, some companies may take the view of, um, we'll leave it as it is, it's working. But of course, if somebody then gets inside, that vulnerability is public, could be publicly accessible, or not publicly accessible, but accessible by the cyber criminal that's inside. So they look for other vulnerabilities and other ways to, to move around. Now, think about this as well. They're drawing the network map. Yeah, so they're sure. documenting your network, not for you, but for them. Um, and they're drawing that map of where you're storing things, how things are stored, what credentials are needed to move around. So they're moving around in the network looking for those different points. And this is where if we, if you look at how ransomware is being uh, deployed recently, they exfiltrate that data. What they're doing is looking around, looking for the sensitive data, looking for where you're storing it, how you're storing it, how you're accessing it. They'll look for your backups. Oh, wow. Right? And because then they'll take those out too? If they can take the backups out or they can encrypt the backups, yeah, that's a, that's another, another method in there. Um, wow. But, of course, APTs aren't just about ransomware. APTs are about that espionage and long-term long-term gain as well and then they collect the data once they've worked out what's sensitive they're going to start extracting information now in some apt type scenarios that might be that they're extracting emails so watching if it's in a, a case of espionage they might be watching communications between the minute the government minister for that department and you know how he talks to he the rest of his staff in the department or they might be looking for things around movement of military hardware or such like i mean it it, it goes on and on uh, you know, you can imagine yeah, how yeah. much information you can glean once you're once you're actually in wow wow I, i'm floored by this because it has the makings of a new hollywood movie <laughs> that we could probably take people through that scenario and have a number of a-list actors kind of acting out that scenario to show really how they could certainly make it sexy and of course appealing but to the point that you made, and this is certainly for our audience here, that is the reality, right? They're, when you said that they were mapping out the network so that they can have visibility into how things are stored, where they're stored, and what credentials are required for them, that should send chills down everyone's spine, which means that you may not necessarily be a CFO, you might not be the CIO, you might not even be the CISO, but if your credentials allow you, depending on the level of privilege and access you're, you know, you're, you're provisioned for, um, this can present problems for the organization, especially, well, it could present the opportunity from the eyes of the, the APT group. But certainly that's where um, we can talk about zero trust and all these things in a moment. But this mapping out that you mentioned and the steps that which they are taking them, I think it's important to show that these are methodol these are very methodical in how they plan this, right? This isn't just a what they call a spray and pray attack. No, this is a very direct and deliberate attempt to gain access and to do the things that you just mentioned, right? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, this is a targeted attack. This is a cyber criminal wanting to gain access very specifically to this system, this network, or this information. And yeah, I, in our last, um, the T1 threat report that our research team put out recently, you saw mm -hmm. a decline in ransomware attacks. And it's, yes. a, well, it's a decline in detection. So our telemetry shows there's a decline, less attacks happening. But I, yeah, I like, I always think about that. My thought on that is that actually it's because they're becoming more targeted. 
Yes. They're yes. becoming, you know, it's becoming far more, well, who's got data that actually they might pay for it, such like. And that's the same with an APT, whether it's espionage or whatever. That's a cyber criminal game. Well, I need, I'd like to access this company because they've got good intellectual property that I could steal or attack this government department because I want to create espionage, you know, do some espionage or, or such like. So, Tony, that's really interesting that you share that. And I definitely will come back to an example of some research that he said has published on um, espionage and um, specifically how an APT group exfiltrated and accessed and exfiltrated some data for the benefit of the cyber criminal group. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But for the people that could be listening, I think it's important to contextualize and let's frame this from the end user's perspective. If I were Joe Smith working at... Um, a a large corporation and my responsibilities did not include anything other than a mid-level manager where there's a few people underneath of me. I'm not responsible for any of the corporate decisions or directions. And would I, as Joe Smith, if my company were under an APT attack, um, would I notice that it's taking place? Well, it's whether you're under an APT attack is an interesting term. Um, Because these attacks are advanced and stealthy, Sure. You know, once the cyber criminal gains access, the likelihood is is they will then close their method of access. So they'll, mm-hmm. you know, in effect, delete how they got in, so that it becomes harder for uh, for the cyber security team who might come along behind them yeah. uh, to see that somebody actually gained access this way. So they clean up after themselves. So it's whether whether you're under attack or whether an attack is taking place. I think I'd, I'd probably term it as an okay. attack is taking place. Sure, sure. Uh, and because of the sophistication, actually you may what may not know that somebody has been in the, is in the network and has or has access to and is in the network for a long period of time. That's a good um, point. And that's the unfortunate part about advanced persistent threats. Right, right. They're advanced and they're persistent and stealthy. So... That's really important. So if Joe Smith wouldn't, would the IT security team potentially see this? Would the person that's in charge of keeping an eye on network assets and, and resources and that sort of a thing? Well, this is why it's important for security teams to have not only tools that detect malware and such things that, that come through, but also to look at the traffic, the traffic that's flying from the network to the outside. Do you recognize where it's going, who it's going to? And actually look at the the log, in effect, that log data of the entire picture of the network and to understand which pieces of information they need to go investigate further and which ones they don't. And that's where you get uh, something like EDR technology and threat intelligence technology. So you can actually go and look to see whether there are anomalies happening in your networks, traffic, you know, traffic you don't recognize or traffic that shouldn't be there. I like that. And... Um, those network admins probably have their hands full lately because it seems like there's an attack every single week or every other day. Um, what about phishing? I mean, if I'm an average user and we're going back to that Joe Smith example, I myself as Joe Smith, he would, I would notice a phishing email, but I likely wouldn't notice if my colleagues were receiving them. Correct. So I would probably be one of maybe a few people within the organization getting, getting pinged. Well, you may do, but it may be very targeted. So if somebody's done their homework and they know, for example, they know I'm based up near San Francisco, they know you're down in uh, down in, in San Diego, 
then maybe they might use local information or they might use other information or so it's so it's very cleverly socially engineered as you said it's this is not the uh the shotgun approach of yeah. uh, of uh targeting this is this is the sniper rifle you're right yeah you're where right. it's very targeted and very specific uh, and the problem one of the things that i think is important that if you receive a phishing email you know one is that you alert, you alert your there should be a method of uh, telling your cybersecurity team that you received it so there should be some reporting mechanism in place and if the cybersecurity team are seeing multiples of them for them to tell everybody that we're seeing these type of emails making them more vigilant but but also if for some reason you fall foul of a phishing email even in part so maybe you don't disclose everything it's asking but you've disclosed something there shouldn't be penalty you know, you should be able to report it the cybersecurity team shouldn't come and it's not a telling off in the headmaster's office exactly. you're being yeah, responsible yeah. You're, t- you're you're owning up and you're t- you're making sure somebody's aware it should be a positive experience uh, and in fact i recently ran a, a customer panel at a conference ESET World, and I loved what one of the customers on the panel uh, were doing. They're a Dutch bank, and when an employee makes a report to the cybersecurity team, they send them chocolates. I mean, how great is that? <laughs> yeah. Now that's cool. That's yeah. cool. But I'm, my point is, is we shouldn't feel bad about owning up that we've done something silly or we, you know, we may have slipped a password or we've been uh, the same password was disclosed in a data breach or whatever it is you should go tell your security team and there shouldn't be any recourse yeah yeah agreed right there's the stigma of oh i did something wrong well great i mean they have become more advanced i think that's the part is that more and more people are falling victim to them because of how stealthy how advanced they are and and their techniques are changing so I, I appreciate you even saying that. And whoever that Dutch company is or wherever that company is located that's giving chocolates, you may have just inspired a trend here because I really like that. Definitely reward for folks that, that tend to step up and, and speak up about these things. Well, I did ask them if they had any jobs because I like the idea of receiving chocolates I, on a daily basis as well. You and I both, right? I'd probably raise my hand every time I got something here and that's quite often. Um so let's pause here for a speakeasy break of uh, a beverage of choice. Tony, today I am taking a tip and a, a, an idea from you, which is midday tea. I know you have your afternoon tea, but I'm going to go ahead and modify that and make it a midday tea. I have some matcha passion fruit tea here that I'm sipping in. Hey, in true speakeasy style, I will cheers you over here. Well, and cheers. And I actually have... Uh, a beer with me today um, oh. but we're going to come back to your cup of tea in a moment and i have a sapporo premium oh, nice. beer oh and, uh, very nice it is too but the, your tea if i was drinking tea at this moment in time the current tea of the household is betty's tea. betty's okay and betty's is a very famous tea shop in the city of york Ooh. in the uk and they have their own tea blend and there's very famous tea rooms where you can enjoy full the full pleasure of afternoon tea oh, wow. uh, with a pianist and a right, yeah, all very weighted and it's very, very beautiful and it's very, uh, very British. Okay. I will need to stop by Betty's and have a, have a sip of afternoon tea. That sounds very, 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 um, very established. I like that. Well, with all things, we have to bring it back to the topic here is APT's 
I continue to proliferate. And I mentioned I was going to share an example. And I think this one's kind of important for folks that have followed your dialogue and how these things can happen. And this example happened years ago, probably right here when I started with ESET. And the team had noticed that there was a group out of Peru, an organization out of Peru, that was noticing a lot of AutoCAD files. These CAD files are engineering files that usually are um, maintained for design of a variety of things, blueprints and car designs and everything else. But these were um, CAD files specifically for blueprints for a particular building. And what they were noticing was that these files were being exfiltrated at weird hours. I mean, massive amounts of data. These AutoCAD files were huge and they were being exfiltrated at really odd hours, sometimes in the middle of the night in Peru. And, um, they were wondering what was happening. So ESET had data and telemetry that we shared with law enforcement. And apparently it was a group based out of a region uh, in APAC. Let's just say that we did where we were able to find the region that it was coming from. And um, long story short, the information that they were seeking were in the blueprints because the company that was looking to um, gain access to the data that was exfiltrated was also in the building business, in the real estate business, and they wanted to have a look at all of the competitors' files that were submitted for a specific region. So these competitors were all submitting their AutoCAD files to uh, an organization that would evaluate these CAD files, and then whoever uh, received the contract would be awarded this massive contract to build on this particular region. And this company wanted to kind of circumvent um, the process and have a look at everyone else's plan so they could build a dot one or one improved um, set of AutoCAD drawings. And that should show people why the information component, I know we talk about information security and protecting the data, but that example just alone, it's kind of like you have that kid that's cheating on the test, right? There's someone that is always looking to potentially shortcut things, which is the cyber criminal these, these days, in order to gain access to the data that they find of value and potentially sell it so that whoever their um, customer is can take advantage of it. And that example is one of many, many more. We have been following APT groups, thankfully, to our threat research teams around the world. And there's many, many other examples. But that one I thought was pretty interesting, Tony, because it just goes to show you it's as simple. And I say it's simple, but as simple as looking at AutoCAD files, which probably the company had not really considered protecting, was of value to someone. And that someone ended up, of course, submitting um, submitting their de design programs. But he said identify them and they were actually apprehended. Well, and if you think about that, you know, building contracts you know, for a skyscraper or you know, a big big apartment block, I mean, it could be worth half a billion dollars, a billion dollars. I mean, exactly. so when you hear about these contracts being awarded, are the blueprints and are the ideas uh, that are being conceived by one proposal or architect company and, and group, are they valuable to another one? Yeah, of course they are, because mm -hmm. you're talking about huge amounts of money. And when there's money involved, unfortunately, we all know that there sometimes becomes... Yes. <laughs> a, a, an element of dishonesty because somebody else wants that a share of that money too. So uh, yeah. it's not really surprising. And yeah, we often hear, don't we, that uh, some manufacturers are accused of stealing ideas from other manufacturers. You know, we think of these things in movies and such yeah. like, but unfortunately they do actually happen in reality as well.
Yeah, agreed. You know, intellectual property and the um, hacking that we've just recently seen sanctions um, imposed on China from the Biden administration for some of the hacking that was done by, uh, well, identified by them as major groups and major corporations in the U.S. um, are kind of... uh, part and parcel to what we were talking about, because as you mentioned, corporations are one, but there's governments too, right? I mean, I think whether it's military secrets, um, plans, uh, mobilizations of troops and and potentially even codes, that type of data is always being um, sought after. And we have to, as you mentioned, there's not really one industry uh, that probably isn't in the crosshairs of these kinds of attacks. So I think that's important for everyone to understand why we're highlighting them today. And let me just add to that is, you know, I think all, you know, at some stage, all governments do it and all it goes in, but it goes in all directions. I I don't think anybody's innocent in this whatsoever. 100%. Yeah. I want to be very clear too. Yeah. There's, there's um, uh, kind of an unspoken set of actions happening right now, as everyone would say, that's the secret war. I think people call it the secret war that, yeah, there's attacks happening on all ends right now where all um, systems and potentially governments are under attack uh, from a digital sense. So, Tony, I think we're going to wrap this one up with maybe your advice. I think as we look at maybe businesses uh, and maybe even the government sector and others, um, if they are doing the basics, which I think you mentioned a few things earlier, um, are there any ways that you would probably recommend uh, that they take steps and approaches to maybe leveling up their security and also finding a way to um, layer their tech stack in a way that helps them to potentially be more prepared for an APT attack? So, so there's a lot of the core, what I find is cybersecurity uh, stuff in here that would help somebody protect against, you know, that initial compromise and then somebody moving around laterally and uh, et cetera. So, you know, making sure you've got educated employees, aware employees of the cybersecurity risk of what phishing looks like, and not just what phishing looks like last year, but how these things move along and how they become more sophisticated. And, uh, you know, it might be yeah. a text message. It might not just be in email and, yeah, it might come in in lots of different forms. Making sure that all devices have latest patches installed, yeah, you know, latest vulnerabilities are, are blocked off from those cyber criminals, yeah, so that people can't access them. And you know, two-factor authentication. Yes. This is this is just such an easy thing to deploy, yet seems to be so difficult for some organisations yeah. to actually turn and say, "We're gonna we're gonna put this pain." pain point in when you log in yes. or when you access something from a remote source there's if there's one th- if there's one big thing that all organizations should do it's, it's multi-factor authentication agreed agreed yeah? because that stops that credential theft and the password the whole password issue not disappears but it it, it, it removes a lot of the the risk and then it's down to you know if you've got something really sensitive yeah. Okay. If it was in my house, you can come in and maybe read the bill that the electric company's just sent me because it's on the desk. But if you're looking for my passport, it's in the safe. There you go. There and, you go. Yeah, make sure that you're protecting as- the real assets, the sensitive, valuable assets that are inside the company, segmented in a different way, that they're secured in a different way, that they're encrypted. and they're- So make sure you understand what the assets are what value they are and protect yeah. them accordingly. Um, and it's important that I think all of this, actually, if you follow a framework, a cybersecurity framework such as NIST, then actually what you'll be doing is 
going down that checklist and a lot of those things are standard practice. Yes, yes, I love that. And you're right, there's a checklist. There's an opportunity to have just um, standardization and resources for teams to follow so that it's a very simple process for all these things to be adopted. I loved what you said, so let's hope everyone looks to adopt it. I think we can put some links in the show notes for everyone to see where they can probably get some additional information. I know ESET has a great plan for everyone to stay protected. So we can also put some things in there from our company as well. Yeah. Noni, so got, let me just do that. Yeah. Bring this all back to you and I. Yes. Yeah, because please. this was all very interesting. Yeah. But we should be doing the same. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course. So not only the big companies and organizations need to be doing this, but you need to be thinking about, you know, what's value, what have I got that's valuable information and how am I protecting it? Now, have I encrypted that for that, that file on my disk that has all the house finances, is it encrypted? Is it password protected? Yes. So I'm just saying that these yes. principles we're talking about for big organizations here Bring actually it. translate down to you and I and the general user on the street as well. Absolutely. And I thank you for that because that's usually where um, that's usually where people gain access, right? Is are the lower level tier because they feel their information is not important enough so and then they probably don't do the basics right so mm. that makes perfect sense okay tony well let's wrap this one up um everyone stay tuned for us next week uh, we're gonna have another show for you here and uh, for those that are in attendance at black hat be safe uh, you may run into a few folks from uh, eset <laughs> well if you are there and you want to say hello uh, yep. just drop us a tweet and we'll uh, we'll come and say hello you got that right awesome awesome well tony we'll see you next week and everyone, thanks for listening.